All right, welcome back, everybody, and happy New Year to you from American Billiard Radio. It is January the seventh, two thousand and fifteen, and my name is Mr. Bond. I'll be your host once again this week, and I will be joined by Mr. Mark Cantrell. How you doing, Mark? Good, thank you. Happy New Year to you and everybody out there listening. Thanks. I hope you had a. Did you have a good holiday there, Mark? Well, you know, uh, boy, it was kind of hectic. You know, as you know, we were uh, there at Moscone Cup. Yeah. Um, till uh, what was that? Till the twelfth of December. Like the twelfth of December, and uh, with the wedding, you know, got married right before the Moscone Cup. With that, we just really had to, uh, we were hectic uh, trying to. We hadn't done any Christmas shopping. We hadn't done anything. So uh, we had Thanksgiving at our house. The weekend after, we go get married. Then we're at Moscone Cup for a week. Then it's Christmas. Then it's New Year's. Uh, it's, it's been a whirlwind, actually. <laughs> yeah, yeah. Oh, good. Yeah, it's a good kind of thing. You know, you get, get get together with your family, and, you know, that's what the holidays are good for. You get to see your friends and your family that you don't normally get to see for most of the year, so that's good. Good to hear that uh, you made it through safe, and <laughs> that's always a good sign. <laughs> yeah. Uh, all right. Well, I hope all the listeners had a good holiday, too, and... Uh, Time to get back to work, huh? Time to get back to some pool. And there's a hell of a lot going on, a, a, a lot of it going on in the United States right now, that's for sure. Uh, as we speak, uh, Turning Stone 25 is kicking off, and uh, that's going to be a pretty star-studded field, as you might imagine. Uh, so if you want to check into that, I believe that uh, the streams are free. Is that right, Mark? It's a, yep, a, yep, the stream is free. It's uh, upstairs out. Upstate Owl and uh, I, think upstate, I think Upstate Owl and AZ Billions yep. uh, are doing that stream. Yeah, that's going to be good. Well, except for there are some players that are still overseas at uh, the Chinese eight ball um, thing, so they're not going to be there for that. Um, you know? Yeah, that's. It, 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 I don't know why it surprises me or not. Uh, you know, this the, the Turning Stone is the first Moscone Cup points event of, of the, year. the year. Right, right, right. And it's, you know, they, they have different tiers as far as the points go, as far as how many player field it is, how much the added money is, and all those kind of magical things that tr- makes it a certain tier. You get more points for those events. Right. And and I think that's, a, you know, that might be a tier too, but... Uh, and say that uh, I'm not 100 percent sure, but I'm pretty. I think I'm positive. Like a tier one is the U.S. Open, where you, you know, you've got players from all around the world coming. Uh, but then again, well, if you look at the fields, uh, the at Turning Stone, they've, they've got uh, this is the current U.S. Open champion, uh, Kevin Chan. Yeah, he's uh, he was just playing on the stream a little while ago, but. I don't know why the, you know, you've got, uh, over in China, you've got Corridor, I believe Skyler, and Justin Bergman and Corridor. I don't know who else is out there, but that's four of, that's four of, uh, the last year's Moscone Cup team. Yeah, yeah. Um, the, the Turning Stone and the Derby Classic both are level two points events. 
Right. Level two. I was right. Level two. Yes. That is correct, sir. Yeah, so they're going to they're gonna miss out on that. It makes you wonder, you know, if it's going to be worth it <laughs> in the end. But then again, uh, you know, this year there's going to be a lot more uh, qualifying events than prior years by far. It will be interesting to see how that uh, the number of qualifying events this year is going to change the component of the team. The number of events uh, right now, I, I believe uh, Matsum have 22 sets. And I'm not sure if we're going to add more to that. Another goal was to hopefully get 27, I think. Uh, or that number was kind of a, a rough goal that they wanted. But uh, that's, you know, 22 events. That's a... That's a lot of events. Yeah. And well, also, yeah. just so you know. And it's going to make a difference, too. We know that, we know that Turning Stone is obviously one. Then we know that the uh, uh, WCG 9-Ball is one. And it's it hasn't been announced by Matchroom, but CSI have announced J. Swanson Memorial is going to be a points event also. Mm-hmm. And um, Ray Jr., um, on uh, he's a Texas uh, local, great Texas local player. Um, he he just, just said that on Facebook he thinks that the Texas Open is going to be a points event as well. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. Interesting. What and the uh, well, he, he, didn't, he didn't he didn't say quite like that. He said, Shh, "Don't tell anybody." But I think we've got the, the Texas <laughs> Open is going to be points event. It could be. It's a big. So, it's a big tournament. It's a big event. So it, it. It's not. It's not official, but I believe it's official. So on the one hand, with all these new events, um, you one could argue on one side, um, maybe that'll present opportunities for someone to get onto the team that can get in just by sheer volume of points rather than qualifying higher a few times. On the other hand, um, having so many qualifying events spreads them out over different parts of the country. So that's going to make it easier for some people to get to qualifiers than it was before. So you may have people in the mix that didn't necessarily couldn't afford to be in the mix. You know what I mean? What do you think about that? I think you can... Yeah, I think you you can go and say something positive and negative about each one. Sure. Uh, it's the first time it's been done this way. Yeah. So it's it's going to be tough to. It's going to be interesting to see how it shakes out. Yeah. Because you're right. That technically, if somebody has no no life and a load of money and can play half decent, they may be able to make it. Onto the Moscone Cup team, they've got to be a playoff decent. But I mean that the Moscone Cup needs to be people who can play lights out, not people who can play half decent. You right. know, there's lots of people like that around. Right. Um, and it's going to be hard for players to get to all of the events. Right. I, I think it's virtually impossible for players to get to all of the events. Right. Right. That's going to oh, be uh, oh, definitely a Even if it's worth it, you uh, forget who said it. It might have been Oscar Dominguez. Said, you know, like, might cost me 50000 to go to all the events. 
when a Muslim come with is twenty thousand. Right, right, right. Well, that's true. That is true. So you know that's gonna. That's part of the whole. That's always been part of the equation too. You know, is how much is it worth uh, someone to to do that? You know, monetarily, I don't. I don't know that it would ever. <laughs> I mean, don't get me wrong. You know, uh, it's, I'm not saying it's not worth it, but monetarily, yeah, I don't know. I don't think you're going to go to Moscone Cup expecting to uh, equalize well, you know, your expenses you know, as far I, as I, what I, it I, took you to get there. I said that. I said that, and I threw that <clears throat> number out a little bit hastily. I, I guess these these guys are going to go to Turning Stone probably anyhow because it's a, it's a good event to pay, to pay decent money, and so they're going to go to it. They're going to go to the U.S. Open. They're going to go to uh, CSI's uh, U.S. Open 8-ball and 10-ball. Um, that kind of thing. So they're going to go to these events anyhow because there's money in it for them. You know? mm-hmm. Forget the Moscone Cup. They're the they're, they're professional pool players. They have to go to play pool tournaments. Right, right. That's true. Absolutely true. So, uh, no, I, I, bottom line is I think it's going to be interesting to see how it plays out, really. Because uh, I, it does open the door for some people to get in, uh, and, and it, not necessarily being at the top of their game. So you know, let's just see how the numbers start to stack up after a while, and <laughs> I guess we can get a better gauge of it. You know, when uh, that, that's going to be the key, and where the tournaments are and where they fall is going to play a part too. Yeah, you know? yeah. Uh, we always talk about the. Like the West West Coast swing that sometimes uh, it, it seems like it's a little inconsistent, but it's been there. Mm-hmm. But you've got the Just Once and Memorial, and then you go from there to I think Family Billions in San Francisco or the Bay Area is having an event. It's probably going to be a Moscone Cup event. I'm going to guess. Then you've got Chuck Markulas in Sacramento Memorial. Uh, and then you've got the Reno Bar Table Championships. I'm going to guess they're probably going to be on the list as well. Wow. So, you know, as well, one, two, three, four, five events that are all lined up, kind of weeks uh, a week apart from each other. Uh, that are all on their way. I mean, you get in the car, you go from L.A. to Reno. Right. Everything's on the way. Yeah. Yeah. So if, there, if if there's a lot of that going on, it's going to be a lot easier for players to go to more than just one. You can't go from New York to San Francisco for a small added event tournament. Right, right. And then fly home again to fly back to Texas for the Texas Open. That's what's going to make it hard. But if they're all in a row and there's a couple of guys together, hey, you know, rent a car, split the hotel and Take your chances. Go up the uh, West Coast. <laughs> yeah, yeah. Well, there's going to be some like that on the East Coast too. I'm guessing. You know, and this brings up a good question. It's a stupid question, but it's still a, a, a question. If there's that many uh, qualifying events, what you know, I, the chances of this happening obviously are are slim to none. So it's not. I'm not asking this question like it's a real threat. But how interesting would it be? If some person, this un, an unknown, actually 
worked their way through the ranks in one single year. And it, you know it's entirely possible for that to happen. We could have a complete unknown player on the Moscone Cup team. In theory, it's possible to do. If they show up enough of those events and get and and you know high enough obviously up on the on the winners list they could do it that would be an amazing story to see somebody go from you know zero to Moscone Cup in one year that would be unheard of <laughs> sorry yeah I, I, I he's having he's a pool tough. fantasy for a second <laughs> I, I think I think it's it's going to be very tough for somebody to do it but like you said it's not out of the realm it would be one of those Cinderella stories. Yeah, it, it really uh, would. It really would. That person, like, that that person still has to be able to play. And oh, this is yeah. like flip flip flop on this, right? A well, little bit because I, I I agree. Can that absolutely happen? But that person, I don't think an unknown can can do it. Right. Well, you wouldn't think. I, I, right. just, you wouldn't think. You wouldn't think. No. You'd, you'd have to know who they were. If you didn't, you'd you'd find out real quick <laughs> when when somebody you know completely unheard of shows up in the top three at Turning Stone. I think that would make everybody figure out who that is real quick. All right. Anyway, let, let's let's move on, Mark. I'm sorry, I didn't mean to beat this whole uh, uh, thing into a a, a fantasy, a, a, you know, pool fantasy. No, no. I, I, I think it's I, I think it's exciting <laughs> and interesting to be honest with you. Yeah. Um, it would be cool to, to see how it goes. It's it's gonna. It's going to either be uh, a, a real game changer, or Matt Schum might have to rethink their strategy on on it next year. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. That's true. That's very true. I, yeah, I can't wait to see what happens. That's that's a fact. Um, what else is going on? Um, let's see. This weekend is the duel of the dames uh, out there at uh, Ed Ladawi's place, the Accustats Arena. Um, it's an all-women tournament, and uh, Allison Fisher actually took the time to talk to Ed about the event. So uh, a little bit later in the show, you guys want to stick around for that. Uh, there will be an interview with Mr. Ed Ladawi. So with that, um, what else is going on? Uh, well, um, shoot, what is that thing that's going on? Oh, it's down south uh, in... Uh, Oh, darn it. Let me think of the name of the place now. Um, 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 it's the Pro-Am. The, Louisiana? Yes, Louisiana uh, at Lacey's. At Lacey's uh, in Chalmette, Louisiana. They're having uh, big trucks having the Louisiana Pro-Am one-pocket competition there. That's actually, I'd love to go see that. We've got Chohan... Uh, Jeremy Jones, Justin Hall, Danny Smith, Josh Roberts, Cliff Joyner, Dennis Orcoyo, and Gabe Owen. Probably some of the best one-pocket players in the country. So that's kicking off, um, shoot, I think yesterday. Uh, it's going on, yeah, right well, now. You know you know what else is coming up, which you may have heard wind of. I don't th- I'm not sure how well it's been uh, promoted at this point. I, I don't think there's been much said. I think they're probably getting ready to do it. Mm-hmm. Uh, but CSI are doing the U.S. Open Straight Pool Championship yes, as well. Yes, yes. Yeah, I'm pretty damn excited about that, too. Yes. And there's supposed to be, isn't there a uh, U.S. Open one pocket? Or 
am I dreaming? I think I heard that there is also a one pocket this year. Well, I, I know CSI owned the name U.S. Open One Pocket, and I know they did it um, a couple of years ago. Mm-hmm. Uh, I, I don't know if they're redoing it again, but they usually, like, when they did it before, they did it at the same time as the um, U.S. Open 8-Ball and the U.S. Open 10-Ball mm, okay. championship. Okay. So, Oh, and another uh, here's another rumor for anybody who's, you know, <laughs> just went up through the West Coast for those Moscone points, for those events. Yeah. Um, I heard a rumor that the Reno Bar Table Championship is going to be in Vegas. It's not the Reno Bar Table. It's in Reno. It's a U.S. Bar Table Championship. The U.S. Bar Table Championship usually has, uh, I think, three events. You have an eight-ball, nine-ball, and ten-ball yeah. events. Uh, I believe from just a rumor that I heard that it may be moving to Vegas. Oh, really? Hmm. Well, now. Which can be... That can, actually, that might even not, not be too bad. It might might not be too bad because getting up to Reno depending on the weather and that kind of thing you can get yourself I've been up there in the snow before <laughs> that yeah. event so <clears throat> yeah 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 uh, well that'll be interesting that's for sure There's... I don't know if um, uh, unless you you know if Pat Fleming took Barry Berman up on his offered to hand over the U.S. Open to him. I don't think he was going to own it or anything else. I think he was just handing the reins over to Pat Fleming. And I'm not sure that he's accepted that or not. Right. No, so. that's, that's, a, that's a really good question. And I think that we should plan on talking to Pat about that very soon because uh, I'm sure that, I mean, if he is plans are probably already underway for the next year's event and or this year's event and uh, you know people are probably interested to find out you know if Barry's still going to be involved and what have you so and to what extent so yeah good question Mark what's going what's in store for the for the US Open 9 ball this year mhm mm good question yeah this this um uh, this is going to be you know you, if you remember, we did when the first shows that we did on ABR. Uh, it was uh, for the first couple of weeks. I think it was the State, State of the Union. Yes, the State of the Union, absolutely. And we were talking about what's going on in pool, and you know, same kind of conversation. And at that point. What is that, three years ago now? Is it three years or two years? Uh, yeah, three years. Two, well, it was in 2013, but it was at the end of 2013. So we're a little past two years right now. Okay. Well, we, we were talking, and, and it didn't seem... We were looking for reasons that pool was going to work. Is it going to be the challenge matches that are going to take over? Is it going to be the high-dollar entries that mm -hmm. are going to work? that's going to make things, you know, give pro players something to actually do. Yeah. Because the calendar didn't look all that great uh, at that particular time. And now here we are, you know, there's 
so there's, there's a lot of events. There's some that we've lost. There's some that have come back. Mm-hmm. And and so it looks like it's, you know, it's going to be a, a, a good a good year for, for pro pool players if they're willing to do the traveling and, and everything else. You know, the main, all, all the events may not be 25,000 added or anything like that, but, you know, it's, you know. I absolutely five agree. Five to 10,000, yeah. you know, you might be able to make it happen. Right, right. Well, and that's, I think you're right. I think that uh, things are, generally speaking, on the upswing. It's a, it's a slow upswing in, in terms of relativity. But still, uh, there's a big difference between now and two years ago. Um, there, a lot of things have developed. We, we're seeing this, uh, the emergence of this Fargo rating system. We've seen um, several rounds of changes in the Moscone Cup you know, uh, process, um, you know, people are traveling overseas into these Chinese events and the other events just as much, if not more than they were. Um, you know, these are general terms, not specific, but I think a lot of things are up on on the upswing for, and it's good. Some of the, uh, the regular tournaments are stronger as strong or stronger than they've ever been. Um, the U.S. Open nine ball in particular, um, and you know, completely. I think the biggest area of growth might have actually been in the junior department, and I'm not saying oh, in, in volume of dollars or anything like that, but we have more junior qualifiers now for the junior nationals and for this new Atlantic Challenge Cup. 40 times more than what we had just two years ago. So the great strides have been taken in the junior department as well, which is going to, you know, bring us some new kids up the up the ladder of success here. We're going to be seeing some new players. They're, they're coming. I promise you that. So right. looks like it's going to be a pretty good year, pretty decent year for pool. Yeah, it's it's uh, it's been a it's been a tough few years. But like I said, uh, I mean, let me let me ask you this. Well, here's something. And I keep going back to these Moscone points. Wh- whoever does really well at the first two, because those I'm going to guess. I'm going to guess that uh, WC City is going to be a tier two points. It is event. Yep. And there are events that are, are both. Uh, what players usually want to be or are. I mean, I, I don't, I, I honestly, again, I don't know why uh, Shane, Corey, and uh, Bergman and Skyler went over to China to play the Chinese eight ball. I know the money's, I think the money's really, really good. Uh, Probably. But it's a very, very difficult game. Uh, I think, I'm, I'm not sure any of them are still even in it at this point. Mm. It's just a very difficult game to play. Yeah. Uh, different patterns and, and that kind of thing. But I guess that's what you got to do to, you know, improve yourself and be better. That uh, is what it is. Um, but if, uh, who would you pick to win turning snow? Ooh, that's a good call. Man. Jeez, uh, man. Um, mm. <laughs> that's a good question. Why? Are you, leaning, are you leaning on somebody right now? Is that what you're trying to say? No, I'm. Uh, I'm just. I, I kind of. There's a few. You know. There's. Well, Shane's gone. 
and uh, Corey's gone, and Bergman and Skyler, who you know that all have a, obviously a chance to to win. It makes the field. Uh, I don't want to say it makes the field a lot easier, but uh, you'd be, I'd rather be in a tournament without men in it. Yeah, uh, yeah. you know, prove my chances of, of winning, but. I'm thinking, you know, Jason Shaw's one of the last, I think, the last three years. Yeah, um, I believe it, it so. It might just be his tournament. He does well on the East Coast. He does really well on the East Coast for some reason. Uh, it's, but, yeah, it's just him and Archer. Uh, Archer's won it seven times. Mm-hmm, mm-hmm. And there's other guys in the room there, I mean, that are obviously more than capable of, of, of snapping it off. Yeah, the field but is. I'd is, probably have to go with uh, probably have to go with uh, Jason Shaw, uh, Johnny. Those are obviously those are the. I don't know, favorites. man. Mika is there. The Cole brothers are there. Uh, no, man. Yeah, that's that's true. Uh, yeah, you know the Cole brothers are there. Yeah, I know that. Uh, Chan, uh, what's his name? What the the Coleman in Scotland? Call it the Coleman English. First name. Kevin, yeah. Kevin. Kevin yeah. Chang. Yeah. Uh, he is there he's too. Got, he, he won the US Open, don't so that's you win the US Open, you can win anything. Uh and so you've got that, but then so if somebody does well one, two, third one first, second, third, third, fourth place do well at Tennisstone and do the same thing again at Derby City. Yep. And at the, I, at the Open? I'd be interested to see what the points look like then. I know there's still a hell of a lot more tournaments and yeah, yeah. To, to, to go to, but that's got to give you a real boost if you're that oh, yeah. far, you know. Absolutely. Ahead. You're going to get ahead quite a bit. And that'll probably infuse somebody to, to go to the rest of the as many of the other 27 as they can. Right, right, absolutely. Shaw is there because again. You know, now, you've got, now you've got a chance. If you get knocked out of the first round, uh, Tony Stone, first round of Derby City, you know, there's a chance you go, well, shit, I don't know if I'm even going to be able to right. catch up at this point. Right. You know, exactly. so I, might, I, I don't want to win all the rest of them. Uh, so it might prevent them from going. But... Yeah. I mean, he said that they're playing for the money, man. That's what they're supposed to be there for, the professional pool players. So, you know, yep. you've got to go to the events to have a chance of winning the money, put the points to one side. Yep, so. get the cheese or get the points, you know. I mean, it's a, it's a tough call. Uh, I think that, uh, I don't know, I guess personally, I, I feel like I would want to go get that experience uh, in China. If there's going to be that many avo- that many events this year, it doesn't necessarily screw you to miss one. I mean, now I know this is going to be a higher tier than than obviously most of them, but uh, I don't know. I, I I guess if I'm not in that position China myself, China Open will be on one as well. Yeah, China Open will probably be a points net as well. I'll be a tier one. Okay. As well. Yeah. That that's my opinion. I don't know that for sure, but yeah, this uh, might be. Turning Stone is not going to be a walk in the park. That's for sure. There's there's some some stiff competition going on there, bro. All right. Well, Mark, I think we're going to put everybody to sleep. So um, 
we're going to go ahead and get out of here for the day. You guys have a wonderful time uh, this weekend watching all the pool. And uh, we will catch up with you next week here on American Billiard Radio. Hey everyone, and welcome to Pool on the Grind here on AmericanBilliardRadio.com. I'm your host, Allison Fisher, and I'm really excited to introduce you to this week's guest. His name is Ed Ladawi, a.k.a. Sandman, the owner of Sandcastle Billiards in Edison, New Jersey, which is most well-known as the home of the AccuStats studio. Welcome to the show, Ed. Thank you for joining us. Well, thank you very much, Allison. It's a pleasure to be on the show. All right. Well, I know you just recently got done with the AccuStats 10-ball event. Um, maybe we can start with a brief recap of that. How was your experience with having the, having the crew there? And obviously Shane, not obviously, but Shane was the winner of that event. Yes, that's correct, Alton. It's always such a pleasure to have the most elite players on the planet come out to my personal room. It's an honor to have them and host it, and that was a part of the vision eight years ago um, to have those type of events, and it was such an honor to have Pat Fleming contact me saying that he wanted to make my place the home of the AccuStats on location studio. Um, he had done a couple of smaller events before the Make It Happen series, and now this was our seventh event, was a 10-ball event, the first rotation game used. I mean, we've had eight balls, three pool, one pocket, a couple of eight balls and a couple of one-pocket games on 10-foot tables and 9-foot tables in the past, but this is the very first rotation game we did with 10-ball being the main attraction of it, or the main discipline to have played. Um, the only other time that we had a rotation game and make it happen series was when we had an all-around, when all the games were played. Right. When we brought yeah. back each player, each champion of each event were brought back together for an all-around. But, I mean, it worked out well. We had, you know, six of the top players in the world, and the viewers are the ones that make it happen. That's why it's called Make It Happen, because all the VIP members that purchase the package make it possible by providing that funding. Yeah, and it's really a special thing for you to be doing for AccuStats, too, to open up uh, open up your room. And, obviously, it's mutually beneficial with a lot more people becoming familiar with, with your room and, Having it known, not really on a international uh, international level. Mm -hmm, absolutely, yeah. It's a, it was a great combination. Um, Pat and I have our hearts in the same place. You know, the game comes first. We're not uh, usually we do a lot of things on our own dime. We start out in a deficit and cross our fingers to hope to make the money back and uh, mm -hmm. or at least break even, and we're happy. You know, so it's not an easy task. It's a passion of uh, labor of uh, love. You know, labor of passion and pool is our passion. So. I'm honored to have Pat after his 30 years contributing to the sport and my 10 years so far now and uh, looking forward to doing a whole lot more things together. We were doing things independently, and of course, he, you know, Pat's the man he's known. He's well-known well beforehand, but I'm just trying to follow those footsteps and uh, come up with some ideas that we both discussed. We sat around a breakfast table at 3 o'clock in the morning after events several times um, discussing different types of ideas and what would work, what wouldn't work, and all we can do is try, and uh, hopefully the public enjoys it. All the pool enthusiasts out there can put their little pieces into the pie as well, and the more that we feed the well rather than take from it, the better and better these events will get. 
Yeah, I think really what it comes down to is just taking the shot, you know, taking taking a chance at making something unique that could potentially bring in new interest or just having the opportunities out there. That's that's really the bottom line is making sure that the players and the fans have have just those opportunities. And, of course, now you're promoting your next labor of love coming up this weekend. It's the first ever Duel of the Danes all-female tournament. Tell me a little bit about how that came to be and what you were inspired by. Well, uh, the inspiration came from nothing but a lack of events for the ladies. I know that I want to give props to uh, Linda Shea and the JP New Tour that runs up the east, up and down the East Coast here. That's the only thing I see for the ladies going on right now. And I know the WPBA events are at a minimum, minimum right now, the one or two events a year. Mm-hmm. So they're struggling. And the ladies want to play, and any um, upper-level player knows that if you want to keep your game in check or you want to keep you know in tune, you have to be seasoned and you have to be in steady competition against others. And a lot of the women will jump in the men's arena and play in a lot of open events with the men, but they don't always fare so well. So I just wanted to give them an opportunity to have something of their own to compete in regularly. And I didn't want to have like any kind of competition with anyone or try to step on any toes or you know uh, make players choose between two different events going on right now. It's always great to have many options in the area, but also mm-hmm. at the same time, you don't want to be oversaturated where you're splitting up the small amount of players we have to work with anyway you know, to begin right. with. So um, the JPE Tour is you know, all over the East Coast, and it's a lot of travel for the ladies here in the Northeast to go down to Virginia or to their main event in Florida all the time, and it's costly. So I decided to just start with this, and uh, actually a couple of years ago I started to do a ladies' event, just a monthly ladies' open and a monthly men's open, and that fizzled out pretty quickly. No one can remember the dates, and no matter how many reminders are sent out at all, it's just a pool room open. So it's pretty hard to come by. So if we made it a little bit more of a novelty where it was just once a month, you know, and exclusive, that was something new and different that wasn't really in the area available to the ladies. So at least now we can pull in from a few different states and uh, give them an opportunity to enjoy themselves. Yeah, it's definitely lacking in the tri-state area for players in New York and New Jersey. And, there, you know, there are usually only maybe one or two J.P. Newt events held in New York at Racks in a given mm-hmm. year. And a lot of the other, speaking from experience, it is definitely tough to travel either to these other events in Maryland or Pennsylvania or Virginia and then there's also the uh, Northern Lights tour, or North, uh, yeah, Northern Lights. There's one one tour in the uh, in New England, mm-hmm. but that's also involves uh, involves a lot of travel. So I want to make sure they're recognized as well. Yeah, I mean, but, everyone's doing yeah, a great job uh, with that. Everyone's, it's just a everyone's of doing their even their part. Yeah, and. This, this particular region does have a lot of very talented and eager women that want to stay as involved as possible. And like you said, plenty of them do play, like on the Tri-State Tour, the Predator Tour, the Mez Tour. So there's no 
there's still plenty of options for them there, but it is something different to be able to have uh, have something on the, on their own. Mm-hmm. Yeah, my hopes are that it can grow and grow from here. The, the best part about it is that I've been reaching out for sponsorship from industries out, or excuse me, small businesses outside the industry. Mm-hmm. So I want the outside world to perceive pool or billiards, let's say, as a cleaner cut game. Um, we, we're still battling the same old stigma from 70, 80 years ago, you know, with the gangsters, pimps and hustlers and the degenerates of the game only. And anytime, you know, you have some fresh blood come into the pool room, it's always shunned upon. Like, I, as an example, I have an 18-year-old kid that I'm training right now. And he's a well-raised child, very polite, very well-mannered, and good student, and uh, has a his head on the good head on their shoulders, and once his folks found out that you know he's coming hanging out at a pool room a lot, they got they got angry with him, and he got in trouble with him, you know. Mm-hmm. And he's like, "No, it's not like that." He's like, "Oh, what are you going over there? You're drinking over there, and this and that." And they're concerned because the stigma still attaches pool to two right. things, you know, dirty, dingy, smoky places with lots of alcohol and drunks, and that's what we have to fight first to clean up the image. So. You know, that were one of the things that we have to do is clean up the image and make it more family-oriented and friendly to breed new blood in the sport. Right, so with I the think ladies, that's uh, mm-hmm. And then uh, I, eventually I'd like to do a juniors event as well, you know, like an 18 and under or under 18 event, similar to this, but that's a year or two down the road still. But as far as this Sunday comes up for Duel of Danes, um, I know I made a flyer out there and put it out there with Jennifer Beretta in the face of that. Uh, flyer. A lot of people thought it was just a challenge match, but I just want to make sure everyone knows it's an open tournament. All levels can play. The entry fee is sixty dollars for amateurs, one twenty for professionals. And the reason why it's twice as much for professionals is they're supposed to have the eggs in an open tournament, and uh, they should put a little bit more into it for having that advantage. It is going to be balanced out in a way of alternate break format and uh, races to nine and five, a little bit longer race on one side and. Races of five on the other side, where it is actually designed a little bit differently. I'm going to introduce a new format, which I hope can be adopted by other uh, tournaments going around, which is going to alleviate in time management and the amount of matches, or actually a number of racks a person has to play to get to the finals. Whether you go straight through undefeated to the finals, or you lose your first round and battle all the way through to get to the finals, you'll have to win the same number of racks to get there. So that way it'll balance it out in a true double elimination format, a different double. I'm calling it the fair format. So uh, I'll explain that more online. I'm going to have some graphics showing how we're managing the uh, races. So I don't want to give out the secret just yet, but hopefully everybody can tune in on Sunday and uh, that'll be fully explained in detail over there at that time. Yeah, I think that's a really interesting idea because as, uh, as players know, I mean, sometimes you're stuck at a tournament until all hours of the night where, mm-hmm. you know, even if you're coming from the winner's bracket, then you end up waiting for hours before you can play the final. Yeah. So I, I applaud I, you for that effort, and I'm mm-hmm. sure the players will appreciate that, and it will be interesting to see a different, you know, different format and see how, um, how everybody takes to it. 
Um, I hope it works out well because this is going to be the first time I'm putting it out there in, in an actual tournament. I've discussed it with Pat Fleming on some times, and he's very interested in it. And uh, some other, and Jose Burgos from the Mez tour that I work with, and he 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 likes it. But I wanted to test market it with one of my events first and put it out there and uh, see how it works out because it's going to balance out the time of waiting. It's going to almost eliminate it down to zero, maybe five or ten minutes between matches. It's all timed out, and I've tested it with a couple uh, local small tournaments, uh, my weekly handicap tournaments and all, just to see how that worked out with a few of us on the side. And, and it worked out pretty well. But there's also going to be a uh, time limit on the matches and the shot clock available if anyone's slow playing for you know, advantage purposes or they're just a slower pace, play, pace player. Um, there will be referees on hand to, and available to handle all that. So we're going to keep things moving at a steady pace all the way through. But I want to uh, touch back on the outside sponsorship, wanting to let people know that they're able to get involved with their businesses and advertise and promote their businesses as well. We're going to be doing online advertisements, and I will have five vendor tables set up, actually six vendor tables set up in Sandcastle from those that are sponsoring this month's event. Now, this is going to be a monthly event, and we're going to have different sponsors each month. There will be repeat sponsors, but we're going to try to fit everybody in as possible because it's generated so much interest. The uh, New Jersey Women's Business Owners Association got involved with me, and that's who I've been working with together, all the sponsors, and they have over 100 members in their organization. So we only have 12 months a year, and I don't think we're going to be doing anything in December. Give everyone a break for holidays next year, but if we can get 11 months' worth of five sponsors each month and just rotate them in, it'll be great because they'll, it'll be such a novelty. They're already fighting over spots for February's event. Wow. They're already taking signups now. I have to create a new event page for people that are calling in because they want to pick up those five spots for next month. Well, that is very cool. It's very uh, encouraging to hear that these local businesses want to get involved and that they want to, have a have a voice and have a have a spot because that's really the the way to expand the game is to show show these businesses show these outside groups what pool has to offer and what the players uh, have to offer too because there's um, there's just so much out there that doesn't get recognized so I really applaud you for that and. I wish uh, wish you the best of luck with the events coming up. And just finally, I want to t- uh, touch on the live stream. Mm-hmm. There will be a live stream for the event, correct? That is correct. This is a free live stream, and um, that can be found in two ways. You can just go to ustream.tv slash channel slash sandcastle dash billiards dot. I'm sorry, uh, not com, but slash sandcastle dash billiards on mm-hmm. the uh, Ustream channel or you know, all the Ustream channels are Ustream.tv slash channel and then the event. But um, there's an easier way if you want to just go to the Sandcastle Billiards homepage. That's www.sandcastlebilliards.com and click on the link in the first paragraph. It just says, click here to connect to our Ustream channel. That'll be the easiest way. Sure. Or you could always go on Ustream and search it. But it'll just be the Sandcastle Billiards Ustream channel. Awesome. Well, I thank you for your time, Ed, and... Wish you a lot of luck. I will see you there. I will be also competing in the event That's coming great. up this weekend. And by the way, you can also Google Sandcastle Billions Ustream, and it will come up as your top result in case uh, 
that's the quickest way for you to get to it. Yeah. And for those so, that are on AZ Billiards, it's also listed in their live streaming guide as well. So the link mm-hmm. is active on that their homepage as well. So there's many ways you can't miss it. Facebook, of course, will be sharing the links there as well, and I'll be providing some updates and photos as we go. And one last thing, Alton, if I just may add, I'd like to thank everybody for listening to American Billiard Radio, and I hope to see all the locals in the area not looking in on the stream, but rather come on down to the pool room. There will be food catered in. There will also be the vendors there. So we have to show our support and our thanks to the vendors that made this possible as well. Without them putting into this, there's going to be $500 added into the pot just to start out. And uh, hopefully maybe if this runs for a while, you know, next year we'll bump it up to $1,000 added and those table charges will go up. If they're enjoying themselves and they're making a profit off of being at the event themselves, they have to see some return. So I encourage everybody to uh, come on out, bring your pocketbooks, and uh, enjoy the ladies' event and also support all the vendors that will be here. Um, There will be a list of vendors listed on the uh, event page if you haven't already seen that on the Sandcastle Facebook page. The event page is there, and I've listed the, sp- the sponsors for this month. So uh, it's mostly feminine products for the first one, but not all of them. Some are just chocolates, or guys can come on out and buy some things for your ladies as well. But I just like everyone to show their support, show their appreciation by supporting the vendors that are here. And of course, the players uh, love to see more people turning out to watch in you know watch in person. Exactly. There's plenty of uh, spectator seating available. But thank you very much once again, Allison. I appreciate it. Thank you for joining us, Ed. And I want to thank everyone for tuning into this week's episode of uh, Pull on the Grind here on AmericanBilliardRadio.com. I will see you guys next time. All right. Welcome back, everybody. And this week, we're going to go ahead and continue with Chapter 3 of the fabulous Mr. Ponzi. The 1926 championship tournament was to be held in Elks Hall, Philadelphia, Pennsylvania. And by this time, my name had been favorably mentioned as a possible participant in this blue ribbon of all billiard classics. Many sports writers, as well as Philadelphia's foremost billiard entrepreneurs, Mr. Joe Mayer, and Saul Allinger used their good influence with the National Billiard Association to have me entered. They suggested that a local player would not only pr- prove a good drawing card, but would stimulate interests in the local game as well. These suggestions must have had a favorable reaction, for shortly thereafter, I received an official entry blank and was re- requested to mail in my entry fee. The tournament started on December 1st and was played in the form of a round robin with 10 of America's best players participating. All the players were requested to wear evening clothes. As this was the first time I had ever donned such attire, you can imagine how terribly self-conscious I must have felt. The starched collar I wore was like a yoke about my neck and my jacket did not permit the usual freedom of movement. All in all, I felt that I was dolled up like Mrs. Astor's pet horde. Before game time, we were permitted to warm up in a special practice room where a table had been set up especially especially for that purpose. Opening night saw a capacity crowd that filled the stage seats, the bleachers, 
and the balcony of the large auditorium. The table we played on was set in a sort of well, with the seating arrangement grouped high about it. Four massive brass posts, threaded with purple silk rope, surrounded the playing enclosure. In each corner was a high stool for the player's convenience, and beside it was a table on which sat a pitcher of water, a file, talc, and the usual accessories. My opening, my opening game against Tabersky was played in what now appears to have been pea soup fog. The crowds, the lights, that darned starch collar, all tended to distract me. When I went into the lobby during a brief intermission, someone asked me, How you doing, Ponzi? I recall saying, Gee, it's murder in there. The next day, I recovered my self-assurance and settled back into my old stride. During the progress of the tourney, I defeated such sterling Q-masters as Natalie, Oswald, Woods, and the former champ, Benny Allen. Erwin Rudolph, playing the best game of his entire career, was the winner. Greenleaf finished in second position and Tabersky third. I ended up in the sixth slot, but everyone said it was a very good showing for an, in for an inexperienced youngster who was participating in his first world championship. Toward the end of the tournament, Levy came to see me with the news that Frank Tabersky, whom he had managed, was going into business, into business and would not be available for any further road tours. I believe you would be a very good drawing card on the road, he said. How would you like to make an extended tour under my management? That started a business relationship that lasted nine long years. Although I did not win the title until six years later, Levy never lost faith in my ability to do so. He was at my side and one of the very first to congratulate me when I defeated Erwin Rudolph for the title in 1934. Levy went out on the road ahead of me to line up a string of engagements. Room owners in the hinterlands had been reading of my titular exploits in the various news dispatches sent out by the wire services, so it was comparatively easy for Sam to secure numerous and lucrative bookings. Everywhere I went, I was treated with kindness and consideration by room operators and the fans as well. New York, Albany, Syracuse, Montreal, Chicago, and all the way stations in between were included in my itinerary. Never before did I realize what a big, wonderful country I lived in and what great people inhabited these United States. With the recent tourney in mind, fans kept asking me, What happened to Greenleaf? How did Allen play? Has Tabersky really gone back? I did my best to answer them intelligently, but the big thrill came when the youngsters asked me for my autograph. Many of the old timers wanted to know why Old Fashioned Pool had changed its name to Pocket Billiards. This is the story as it was told to me by Alfredo de Oro, the great Cuban Q ace who has won more billiard, billiard titles than I can recall. 
He said, Years ago, when horse race betting parlors flourished, they were known as pool rooms. The billiard industry, wishing to disassociate legitimate amusement resorts from the stigma attached to gambling halls, offered a prize for a brand new name that would dignify the pocket game. Mr. Dioro came up with the happy suggestion, Pocket Billiards. This name was adopted by the industry, and it spent thousands of dollars giving it wide publicity. The designation has remained in vogue ever since. Levy joined me in Montreal, Canada, where I was asked for a week's engagement. We were treated as though we were visiting celebrities. Montreal's La Patrie sent its camera cameraman to snap me in some poses when I arrived to play for the late Dave Major and referred to me in its story of Le Champion des Jours de Poux. That week we played to a packed house at each exhibition. Mr. Major was so delighted that he had a special medal engraved to commemor commemorate my visit to Montreal. I still retain that medal among my, my cherished possessions, along with a feeling of, gra of gratitude for that grand sportsman, Mr. Dave Major. The only sour note I encountered on this entire trip was at Teachers College in Waterville, Maine. After I had played a game against one of the students, a windy sort of chap who had acted as a master of ceremony asked me to deliver a, a lecture on billiards. In the past, I had done most of my talking with the billiard cue. Never before had I made a speech of any kind. I was usually at a loss for words. I explained the situation and begged it to be excused, whereupon he turned to the students and announced, Ponty won't talk, folks. He says the only English he knows is the kind you put on the cue ball. Of course, this gratuitous slur brought a big laugh, which was exceeded only by my personal embarrassment. Then and there, I decided to utilize all my spare time in, le in reading some worthwhile books. With a Webster's Dictionary and a Rose Thesaurus at my side, I studied the pronunciation and meaning of every word that had baffled me in the past. During the summer months, when I was not traveling on the road, I took lessons in elocution in order to improve my diction. Sam Tobb, noted commentator, invited me to go on the air as a guest to be interviewed. When Mr. Tobb complimented me as a fine conversationalist, I was pleased as all get out. Today, when I am called upon to deliver a talk on my favorite subject, billiards, there is no hesitation on my part in taking the floor. In fact, I'd like to see anybody try to stop me. When my season had ended, I went home for a well-deserved rest. I had played as many as four exhibitions a day, had won 130, uh, 138 exhibition games before I met my first defeat, and my high run for the season was a string of two, 202 balls made against Anofrio Lori at the Strand Academy in New York City. Most of my days were spent at the beach. Occasionally, I would journey to Delaware State Racetrack for an afternoon of sport. On one such occasion, I ran into Willie Hoppy, and we decided to take grandstand seats together in order to compare our selections. Sitting next to us was a roughly dressed stranger, and beside him, a beautifully gowned, diamond-bedecked woman, who, we later learned, was his wife.
they were making modest wagers on the favorites. And as this was one of those days when the choices were clicking, they were doing all right for themselves. As the fifth successive favorite stuck out his nose in front and paid off at even money to win and the same for place, the stranger turned to Willie and exclaimed, If I thought that nag would have paid even money to place, I would have hocked my wife's diamonds to bet on it. Hoppy, who has a dry sort of humor, remarked to me later, That fellow we met at the track today is pretty smart. He's willing to bet his wife's jewels, but he won't take a chance wagering his own money. And that concludes chapter three. Join us next week for chapter four of the fabulous Mr. Ponzi right here on American Billiard Radio. Music